May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are, the final Sunday in the season of Lent and the final spiritual practice in following Jesus. And of course, we saved the best, the most exciting for the last one, the practice of giving. I noticed that the pews are a little sparse today. I shouldn't have said that we were going to do this this week. In fact, I'm surprised that you didn't meet my announcement with applause or amens. Giving! (laughs) Woo! Take it all! Yeah. Of course, we're talking about financial giving, which might be the most controversial Christian practice there is, and sometimes for a good reason. I love this headline from The Onion, if we could have that on the screen. Could we have that? On? Yeah, there you go. You see that? Report, majority of money donated at church doesn't make it to God. I mean, if you didn't know that The Onion is a satirical website, of course. And obviously, they're pointing out the fact that, no, in fact, the money collected at church does not go to God. But they're also pointing the fact that sometimes giving to God is used as a way to manipulate people out of their money. Fortunately for you, I'm not that skilled, so I'm going to talk about the spiritual practice of giving instead. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be manipulative. Whether it's giving to the church or charities or personally face-to-face to someone in need, giving at its best is a spiritual practice. It's a discipline that holds the possibility for personal transformation. So today I want to talk about why we as followers of Jesus Christ give, why we take up this discipline of giving. So to do that, let's look at the first two verses of the 12th chapter in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And even though these two verses don't directly mention giving, this short little passage kind of sets the foundation for why we practice giving in the first place. Slide, please. First of all, we give because we believe that everything, every inch of creation and existence itself is a gift. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul begins our passage, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. This passage comes at the hinge point in the whole letter. Here in this letter, Paul's trying to tell the whole Christian story from beginning to end, and it begins with God's work since the beginning of time, creating and upholding the world, Then there's the world falling into brokenness and disobedience, but then there's God's call of person after person. There's forgiveness after forgiveness. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth chances, and so on, and so on, and so on. And the common thread through the story that Paul tells is its focus on God. It's focused on God's gifts and God's love, God's faithfulness and God's patience, God's forgiveness, with it all coming into climax and into focus on Jesus on the cross. 
the cross being the ultimate demonstration of God's nature as the ultimate giver. I mean, if you know that old hymn, it goes, giver of the perfect gift, only hope of human race. God is the giver of life and the giver of salvation. God keeps giving and giving and giving. And that's what Paul means by the mercies of God. It's a shorthand for the rest of the whole letter. So no matter how much human beings have screwed it up, God keeps on going and going and going, giving and giving and giving. In this letter, everything good has been God's doing. It's all gift from beginning to end. And in one way, this reflects a fundamental truth of existence, even if you're not a Christian. We didn't invent existence itself. Whether you believe in a God or not, you'll have to admit that there was nothing we did or ever could have done to be here in the first place. We didn't invent ourselves, and the mere fact that there is something and not nothing is a gift. It's something we didn't do or bring upon. And any success, beauty, or joy we've experienced has come from somewhere and someone else. We had to have parents to exist, who had parents, who had parents, who had parents. And if we're a brilliant musician, we may have killed ourselves with practice, but somebody taught us to play. And if somebody, even if somebody didn't teach us to play, we didn't invent music notation to begin with. Or if we've made lots of money, if we've climbed the ladder, we wouldn't be there without all these other people who have made our success possible. Employees, investors, the economic system that was there in the first place that made it all possible. In every case, we play a part for sure. But the fact is that there is a, the fact that there is a part to play in the first place was never our doing. In philosophical language, nothing that exists is the cause of itself. That's Thomas Aquinas, in case you're wondering. Paul would see all of this and everything as an act of grace, an outcome of the ongoing mercies of God. And even though the language we use around money tends to be earning, the gift includes money as well, because everything is a gift from God. We practice giving because everything we have, including money, is a gift, all the way up to the chain to the beginning, in one way or another. One that none of us earned or ever could earn. To give what we have away reminds us that everything we have was a gift to begin with in the first place. Okay, so life's a gift. For Christians, a gift from God. Then how do we show gratitude for a gift? We show gratitude for a gift by perhaps saying thank you, acknowledging the source of the gift. The great Christian mystic Meister Eckhart said that if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. 
Or maybe it's remembering to pick out something nice when that person's birthday comes around. Maybe that's how we say thank you. But this is God we're talking about here. What do you buy for the creator who has everything? That's a good question. I mean, human beings have sort of been striving to sort of give gifts to the divine forever and haven't really figured it out yet. But there is nothing that we can do that will somehow match the gift that we've been given. It's a gift exceeding every debt. So our gratitude has to take a different shape. Next slide, please. Oh, wait. Is this the right slide? No, this is a good slide. Okay. By the mercies of God, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In Paul's time, sacrifices were made at the Jerusalem temple, mostly in the form of live animals. The blood of the animal would be shed as an offering to God, an offering for sins committed, or an offering, offering of gratitude. But Paul turns the whole idea right upside down. There are bodies, yes, but these are the bodies of living human beings without bloodshed. Paul says that we are the living sacrifice. By presenting our bodies, Paul says, we're presenting everything we have and all that we are to God in gratitude as a thank you. God doesn't need our dead bulls or our goats. None of the money collected at church goes directly to God because God doesn't need it. God is, but God is more like that U2 song that goes, all I want is you. God wants our whole lives, our whole lives to be a reflection of God's life and God's love. Meaning God wants our money to be a conduit for divine love like everything else. But of course we can't simply offer all of our money as a living sacrifice. We use it for all sorts of practical things, including stuff like food and housing and things we need to live. So the way followers of Jesus offer our sacrifice is through the spiritual discipline of tithing. I should have had a, a trigger warning for the T word, too, at the beginning. The historical Christian discipline of tithing is setting aside 10% to give, usually to one's community of faith. Tithing literally means tenth, and it's based on biblical directions concerning first fruits. It's actually considered a starting point in Scripture, believe it or not, for giving. Of course, they didn't pay taxes in the same way that we do for essential services, which were often undertaken by the church, but that's still like the biblical minimum. In one way, this recognizes 
the importance of a faith community by supporting it. Churches like ours do a lot of good things like faith formation, spiritual community, inspiration, feeding people, and loving and caring for them. These are all good things, and of course that's a reason to give. But it's also for its symbolic value, and maybe most of all for its symbolic value. We offer up our money to a faith community because this is where we believe we encounter God among other people. It's where we hear and experience the good news, and it's where, we, where love and service to the least and lost takes place. Jesus says, where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. And so to tithe is a way where we can symbolically offer our hearts to God, to God's mission in the world, and the trust that the rest of our lives will eventually catch up to where we're putting our hearts. I mean, it may sound crazy. You might be sitting there and being like, yeah, okay, just keep talking for the next, whatever the next eight minutes that you have left. It may sound crazy, but there are people in this faith community, people with completely different levels of income, high and low, who actually practice tithing. I don't know who they are, because I'm not allowed to know who they are. Maybe that would influence. I would maybe spend a little bit more time with them, if you know what I mean. (laughs) But I do know that there are people who do it for all of the reasons that I gave above. And I know it's hard. It's the kind of thing that takes practice. Few of us are prepared to undertake this kind of spiritual athleticism because that's what it is. It's something that we work at. It's something that we that we, it's like working out. It's something that we practice and something that we get their spiritual muscles moving to be able to do it. Anybody that does give in that way has probably done it for a very long time. But I love this other part that Paul says. He says that our bodies, our whole lives, are already a sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. That it's not about offering God the perfect sacrifice, but that we can respond with gratitude here and now exactly as we are in the ways that we can. We're already holy and acceptable in God's sight. Meaning that we don't have to work our lives up before we can give them away. What we have here and now is enough to begin with. No matter how little or how much money we have. In fact, the important thing is seeing money as part of the whole life scheme of gratitude. If we see life as a gift, the only response is gratitude for everything, and that includes our money. Like the song we sang at children's time, I'm going to give so God can use me. To offer ourselves and our money as a living sacrifice reflects the love and mercy of the giver. Okay. So we give because everything's a gift, and we give because the proper response to the gift is gratitude. But there's more. If I could have the next slide, please. We give because we believe that generosity, practicing it, 
actually changes us for the better. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul continues. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. In starting to see life as a gift and generosity as a response, we're pushing against huge social and cultural and political forces. We live in a culture that promises us happiness through success, through acquisition, through consumerism, through technique, and through control. There's always another goal to achieve. The next house to mortgage, the net latest car to buy. And we all know that none of this is true, that it actually won't bring us happiness. But even though we don't know it, we're willing to believe it. We may get what we want, but the feeling always disappears eventually. And it's on to the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. We have a biblical word for that, and that's called idolatry, which means looking for ultimate meaning and happiness in something other than God. Our consumer society is built on dissatisfaction, which is the opposite of gratitude. And as I'm sure you already know, it's a recipe for anxiety, fear, and exhaustion. Because there's never, ever, ever enough. We can never do enough, we can never be enough, and we can never have enough. To say that life is a gift, I have enough, I am enough, I have enough to give away, is radically countercultural. It's to not be conformed to this world. But when we see life as a gift, we find our minds renewed and we begin to see things with clarity we begin to understand more fully the will of God for our lives. Because we'll actually become happier, freer people, because all what we have is already enough. When we recognize we have enough, then it means we can be content and we can be satisfied. Can I get the next slide? The Austrian monk, David Stendhal Rast, puts it like this. And I'll just shorten this. But it is not happiness that makes us grateful. It is gratefulness that makes us happy. I'll say that again. It is not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us happy. You know, and this was in a TED Talk. You know, the Bible opened for everyone to hear and see. So waiting until we're happy to be grateful, to give, simply doesn't work. But practicing gratitude itself ultimately bears the fruit of happiness. When we start giving some money away, we become less fearful. Because when we give, we start to trust that we have enough. 
giving something away isn't going to be the little, you know, the little wooden Jenga block, you know, that you take out that brings the whole tower of your life down. Because God is the giver, it means that the gifts never end. The gifts never end. Because God is the giver, it means the gifts never end. So, there we are, brothers and sisters. I didn't feel too much tension. Just the right amount. But that's the spiritual discipline of giving, of generosity. We give because life is a gift, and in the end, giving changes us for the better. That's pretty much simply the way it is. And when we do it, we experience a kind of spiritual detox, like a muscle, it becomes easier, gives some away, and we'll find ourselves giving more and more and more away too. And when we do, we discover that generosity actually makes us feel good, believe it or not. I know it's Lent, we're not supposed to feel good, but... But in giving, God again gifts us. Gifts us with peace, stability, and true joy. This is why we do it. So regardless of how much you give or who you give to, I hope and pray that each of you experiences both the joy and blessing of returning the gifts that we've been given to our giving, loving, merciful creator. Amen.